Well, this morning we are um, finishing our study in the book of Colossians, and we're going to do kind of a wrap-up today, and uh, hopefully um, may you feel that point of the spear from uh, Colossians, what Paul has to say. I just wanted to share with you that uh, beginning next week, um, we are going to be doing a, a Lenten series entitled, My Ebenezer. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the Bible, that rings true. For those of you who are not familiar with the Bible, you probably think it's a sermon series on Ebenezer Scrooge. It is not. It is not. In the Bible, the word Ebenezer means a stone of help. And on several occasions, three occasions, uh, this Ebenezer, this stone of help, was placed to help the Israelites remember what God has done. And so we are going to remember what God has done for us in these next few weeks. And I, I believe it'll be a wonderful uh, series leading right up to Easter Sunday, the greatest day of the year for me. So uh, it's going to be a, a wonderful, wonderful time. So if you will, uh, just uh, join me for a brief prayer before we begin our message this morning. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So I'm a, a math guy. If I were a teacher, I would be a math teacher. I mean, I love that stuff. And I was in high school, in college, that's why I was an engineering student. I just loved math. Well, our senior year of high school, uh, there was a uh, countywide in San Diego um, high school math competition. And every uh, school, every high school, I was at Granite Hills High School, would send two students to this um, math contest at San Diego State University. And uh, I, myself, and a girl were selected from our school to represent Granite Hills in the math contest. I remember when I got there, I looked at all, there's probably maybe a couple hundred high schools in San Diego, and I got there, and I looked at all of these kids, and I thought a couple of things to myself. The first thing is, I'm probably the only football player in this building. Right, that's the first thing I thought. And then the other thought I had was, um, you know, these really are my people, right? Uh, with the pocket protectors, you know, and the horn rim glasses and the pants pulled up to here. And, you know, we were nerds. And uh, uh, now in the 60s, uh, nerds weren't called nerds. We were called the smart kids. <laughs> but uh, the Big Bang Theory has changed all of that. And uh, so, so I was there, and uh, we competed, and uh, we came in 13th place. Now, that didn't sound like much, but we were proud of that. I mean, uh, who has a trophy in their house that says, yay, we won 13th place? <laughs> but, uh, but it was really great. I mean, I love math. I always have. So for the last eight, eight weeks, we have immersed ourselves. I'm sorry, this thing is just not uh, cooperating today. There we go. We have immersed ourselves in uh, one mathematical equation, and that is uh, the classic form of algebra, A plus B equals C. Now, those of you that uh, didn't like math are going to go, oh boy, I don't know if I can do this. But yes, you can. So remember that, that mathematical formula is translated, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? Say that together. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. A plus B equals C. So I love math because it is exact, it is precise, 
It is objective. It is incontrovertible. I love that. And um, I, I mean, with math, it's, it's great because it's not like your opinion. You know, well, I think two plus two is four. Or, you know, I believe with all my heart, I'm, I sincerely believe that two plus two is five. Well, you're sincerely wrong, right? So I, that's why I love math. It's very precise. So as we conclude our series on Colossians, um, I want to examine this equation and see if indeed Jesus plus nothing equals everything. A plus B equals C. So the A of our equation is Jesus. And the best place to start there is where we started eight weeks ago in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. This is one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. It is a song, and it's like a psalm. Uh, Listen to the words of Paul. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Verse 17, he existed before anything else, and he holds all things together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Isn't that beautiful? Well, in Paul's day, there was this uh, confusion, this cacophony of philosophies and ideas. Uh, Jesus plus Moses. Now, there's the answer, right? Uh, that's, that's what the Jewish people thought. It's got to be, right? Moses has been our guy for 2,000 years. Well, how about Jesus plus circumcision? That identifies us as a Jewish people, right? Jesus plus angels or Jesus plus astrology. Jesus plus if I try really hard, if I do my best, if I avoid sin. Paul says to each and every one of those Your Jesus is too small. He doesn't need anything. Jesus is all and in all. He is preeminent. He is supreme. In other words, and we've said this over and over again, Jesus is big enough. Now, Paul reminds us of the bigness, the vastness of Jesus in two ways in that text. The first is that he is supreme over all creation. Colossians 1.16. All things were created by him and for him. A couple of years ago, uh, 2019, I believe, a movie came out, uh, Brad Pitt uh, uh, was the star, Ad Astra. Anybody seen that movie? Okay, yeah, okay, I did. Uh, uh, How about you out there? Okay, yeah, you saw it. Okay, some of you, these people don't go to the movies at all. But uh, Ad Astra, which means in Latin, to the stars. And it was about uh, this guy who was looking for his dad. 
and uh, he was flying alone, and he was going through the, to the edge of the solar system, and it was just amazing and really spectacular, and it kind of gave you the idea of the vastness of our solar system, and as you saw a few weeks ago, our solar system is just a tiny infinitesimal dot in all of creation. And the Bible says that Jesus is supreme over all creation, over all things. He created the heavens and the earth, the visible and the invisible, the powers, the rulers, the authorities. With the wave of his hand, with the spoken word, he created all things. And listen to this. He also created you. He created you. With the aid of your mother and father, he created you exactly like he wanted to. He doesn't make junk. He breathed life into you. In Psalm 139, it says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Some of us don't think that, but the Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And that Psalm 139, 13, listen to these words. For you, cre- for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Isn't that beautiful? You are his creation. And he holds all things together. I mean, we recognize the times in our lives when it seems like everything's just kind of falling apart. Complete chaos. It seems like nothing is going right. There's a a beautiful story, uh, a a pastor who lived over 100 years ago by the name of Charles Allen used to keep a, a tiny snow globe on his desk in his office. And you know what a snow globe is, some, at least uh, I think you guys do. And so you, you, you pick up the snow globe. And he said when, th- when things would go bad in his life, when things just weren't working out, uh, there was this little man in the snow globe, and he would take the snow globe and he would shake it like this. And, of course, it would look like there's snow and you, the little man is in there. You can't hardly see him for all the snow. And, and then he would talk to the little man. He said, now, little man, I know that right now you can't see me. I know that right now your world looks like it's upside down. It looks like you live in Texas or any other place in the Midwest, right, or the East Coast, and everything looks wrong. But I want you to know, little man, that I've got a hold of you. I'm still in control of your life. I've got you, and I'm not going to let you go. It's a beautiful thing to remember that God has us in his control. Is he big enough to hold you together when things are falling apart? Is he big enough, not only over all creation, but is he big enough over you? And then the second part of that first text that we read in first, uh, for, uh, Colossians chapter 1 is that he is supreme over redemption, right? He redeemed all of creation. The Bible says in Revelation and also in Colossians that one day he will make all things new. Now, I'm not just talking about in the sweet by and by in the heavens, in the heavens, right? He will make all things new means the heavens and the earth. Everything that we are experiencing, everything will be brand new. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's amazing to me. And not only that, he has, me, he has created you new. He has redeemed you. It says, through his blood shed on the cross, Once we were far away from God, and now we are drawn near to him. We are reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus he shed on the cross. Now, I used this example weeks ago about reconciliation. 
Uh, those of you that know football, know a pro football, Alex Smith, a quarterback for the Washington football team, uh, two years ago broke his leg very badly in a game, so much so that he almost lost his leg. And as they were putting this leg back together with, I think, over 100 surgeries, the doctor finally said to Alex Smith, he said to him this, your leg is now reconciled. Never thought of that as a medical term. Your leg is now reconciled. In other words, it's put back together. And yes, indeed, last season, Alex Smith joined his football team and played the position of quarterback once again. God has reconciled you. No matter how broken you are, no matter how lost you are, Christ is supreme over all creation and he has redeemed all creation. Now let me ask you a question. Is this Jesus big enough for you? Big enough to overcome your sin? Big enough to sustain you when your life is spinning out of control, when it's like he's holding you in his hand and everything's out of control. And he says, listen, I've got you. I'm holding you. Is he big enough when you're experiencing hurt and pain? Is he big enough to reconcile you, to put you back together like Humpty Dumpty, right? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. But Jesus said, I am greater than all the king's horses and all the king's men. I will put you back together again. In our equation, A equals Jesus. And Jesus is supreme. He is preeminent. He is all-sufficient. He is powerful. He is full of mercy and grace and redemptive power. And all of that is for you. Is he big enough for you? The second part of the equation, B equals nothing. What do we need to add to Jesus? This is the algebra part. What do we need to add to Jesus so that the answer comes out to be nothing? What is nothing? It's the opposite of anything. Anything that we add to Jesus, our good behavior, our prosperity, our performance, our sparkling personalities, and many of you are sparkling today, I can see that. Anything we add to Jesus becomes idolatry. It's a divided heart. And God says, you don't need to add anything, nothing. So there is nothing you can add to Jesus because he is all and in all. But here's the really bad news. When we're talking about adding something, A plus B, we're not just talking about adding something that's benign, something like um, you know, speaking in tongues, or something like you've just got to be a good person, or any number of things. You're not just adding something. You're adding a negative. Okay, now, this is where I'm going to lose some of you in this math thing. Okay, so A plus minus B equals C. <laughs> okay, so when you add a negative, it's a, it's a minus. So 7 plus minus 4 equals 3. Are you with me? Okay, no, you're not. Okay, I can see that. Okay, well, here's, here's, the, here's the bad news. That thing that we're adding, that B, we're not adding just nothing. We're adding a negative. We're adding our sin. No, show your work. <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're, just, you're, you're just adding nothing, right? And here's how Paul puts it. When you're, add, you're not just adding something neutral or benign. You're adding your sin. 
you're adding a negative. Colossians 1.21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. That's what you bring to this equation. That's what you bring to Jesus plus. We bring that to the table. We bring to Jesus the alienation and enmity, that which is at cross purposes with Christ in the life that we have in him. The reason the good news of Jesus' supremacy is so vast and great and wonderful is because the bad news of my sin is so huge and horrible. Big sin always requires big grace. I remember often during those two and a half years when I was hiding my addictive gambling habit from Sherry and from the church, I remember some Sundays after I would preach, I would hear from people in the congregation, well, pastor, that was a wonderful message. People would even come to Christ. Sherry would say to me, honey, that was a wonderful message. And what I didn't want to tell them is that as soon as I was done preaching, the only thing I could think of was how to get back to the casino. It was this terrible fight inside of my soul. And even though I was loved by God, and even though I, I didn't feel shame from God, I felt shame from me, which is exactly where it was coming from. I recognized that it's not just about adding something, but it's about trying to take something away. I was alienated from God. There was this wall of hostility that separated me. We become enemies. Worst of all, we have different values and ethics and passions and desires. And Paul said in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, these words, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. We were bent towards sin and selfishness. Not indifferent, to God, but hostile to God. Our sin is big sin. It's all-encompassing sin. It's an enemy of God. That nothing is a negative. Billy Graham used to tell a true story, excuse me, used to tell a true story about a Maasai warrior in Kenya, Africa. His name was Joseph. One day, Joseph, who was walking along one of those hot, dirty African roads, met someone who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Then and there, he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. The power of the Spirit began transforming his life immediately. He was filled with such excitement and joy that the first thing he wanted to do was to return to his own village and share the same good news of Jesus with the members of his local tribe. Joseph began going from door to door, telling everyone uh, that, he met what, that he met about Jesus and the salvation that was offered to them, expecting to see their faces light up like his did. To his amazement, the villagers not only didn't care, they became violent. The men of the village seized him and held him to the ground while the women beat him with strands of barbed wire. He was dragged from the village and left to die in the brush. Joseph somehow managed to crawl to a water hole and there, after days of passing in and out of consciousness, he found the strength to get up. And he wondered about the hostile reception. What happened, he thought. He, what, that, how did he receive that from these people that he's known all of his life? 
And then he decided he must have said something wrong or told the story the wrong way. So he rehearsed it in his mind, and he's ready to go back to the village and do it once again. Joseph limped into the circle of huts and began to proclaim Jesus. He died for you so that you might have forgiveness and come to know the living God, he pleaded. And again, he was grabbed by the men of the village and beaten by the women, dragged by unconsciousness from the village and left to die. To have survived the first beating was truly remarkable. To survive the second one was miraculous. But somehow, some way, God kept him alive. And when he woke up, he was determined to go back. He returned to the small village, and this time they attacked him before he had a chance to open his mouth. As they flogged him for the third and probably the last time, he began to speak to them of the love of Jesus. And before he passed out, the last thing he saw was the women who were beating him began to weep. This time he awoke in his own bed. The ones who had so severely beaten him were now trying to save his life and nurse him back to health. And he found that almost the entire village came to Jesus. How great is the grace of God? Is it big enough to even overcome that kind of sin? And you might say, well, at least I'm not that bad. You know, at least I'm not taking Christians and beating them with barbed wire. But is our sin any different than anyone else's? How big is your sin? How big is Jesus? How big is his love and his grace? Is it big enough to redeem you, to save you, to make you come alive? What we bring to the table is nothing. In fact, it's not nothing. It's a negative. It's alienation and enmity. It's less than nothing. Jesus in all his beauty and all his supremacy and all his love and all I have to offer him, the old song used to say, is brokenness and strife. It's what C.S. Lewis called, and you've heard this before, the wonderful exchange, right? All that Jesus is, his love and his brilliance and his eternal passion for you and his everything that you can possibly imagine in Jesus is here and everything that you bring to the table, every negative thing, every alienation, every enmity towards God, every sin, every brokenness, all of that is you. And the wonderful exchange is simply this. God takes yours and you take his. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus plus your sin. And you say, well, that should kind of zero out, right? That should kind of be, okay, we're we're good. Jesus minus all of my sin equals zero. But here's, here's the good news. It's not zero, I mean, the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son, all of his brokenness, all of his sin came. And here you have the father's love, which is like A, Jesus, right? The father's love. And here comes B. Here comes the son. And he's nothing. He's negative. He's, he's bad. He's done everything wrong. And what you'd expect is just the father to say, you're forgiven, okay? You're, you're back. But he didn't do that. What did he do? He gave him a ring and a robe and a party. (laughs) He didn't deserve that. That wasn't any, I mean, that was, you don't just come with Jesus and and our negative sin and somehow come out with something wonderful, something, everything. C is everything. It's not A plus B equals zero. It's A plus B equals everything. In Colossians, Paul adds, after the vastness of our sin, 
But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death to present you holy. (laughs) How is that possible, Lord? To present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. When you stand before God, free from accusation. We always have this picture of standing before God with this giant screen of all of our sins and brokenness on it. And it runs for hours. And we're saying, oh man, how can I stand in front of that? But instead you see Jesus standing in front of the screen and all that God sees is you completely reconciled, completely loved, completely free from accusation. The vastness of Jesus and his grace doesn't zero out the vastness of our sin and deception. It overwhelms it. Justice is getting what you deserve. The wages of sin is death. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. You get pardon. But grace, grace is getting what you don't deserve. You are simply lavished. A ring and a robe and a party. In Romans 5, Paul describes the everythingness of grace. Romans 5.15, much more, note those two words, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Much more. In Romans 5.17, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in Jesus Christ. Christ. From the worst possible news, you are not just benign. You are enemies of the cross. You were alienated from God, contrasted with the best possible news. The distance between being an enemy, being evil, and holy and blameless, that distance is infinite. And it was bridged by Jesus Christ on the cross. It was bridged by him. Big gap, big Jesus, big love, big grace. Everything overcomes nothing. Big grace overcomes big sin. The blood of Jesus washes away our iniquities. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Do you see the everythingness that you have in Christ? Do you hear Paul's words ring out in Colossians 3.4 when Christ who is our life not Christ who is a part of your life or Christ who is attached to your life or Christ who is around your life, but when Christ who is your life, Jesus. And James says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When he is your everything, then you are satisfied, you are filled, you are joyful, asking nothing, an undivided heart. This power was put on display in the 4th century by an early church father by the name of Chrysostom. John Chrysostom was brought into the Empress Eudoxia, and this is the early 300s. And uh, she threatened him with banishment because he had been preaching the gospel. And she said, you can't do that anymore. You can't preach about Jesus. That's, That's all over. This is before Constantine, right? 
And uh, so this was the conversation recorded. You cannot banish me, for this world is my father's house, said John. But I will kill you, said the empress. No, you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ in God, said John. I will take away your treasures. No, you cannot, for my treasures... My treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. But I will drive you away from your friends and you will have no one left. No, you cannot. For I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you, for there is nothing you can do to harm me. End quote. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The equation is not only true, it is life changing. The banner under which every Christian lives is it is finished. So relax and rejoice. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Everything minus Jesus equals nothing. It means you're free. You're free indeed. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, for these weeks we have examined um, this extraordinary little book and even as we've looked at the words, um, it's hard to imagine how real it is. How supreme Jesus is. How overarching his love is. And, and this grace that we don't deserve. When we should get death, but instead of death, we get pardon. But instead of pardon, we get a ring and a robe and a party. It just doesn't make any sense. But that's the reality of this truth that Paul communicates to us, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We don't have to add anything because Jesus is all and in all. He created all things. He is supreme over all creation. He is supreme over each one of us. He redeemed us. He reconciled us. He brought us back, and he loved us. So, Father, as, as we've concluded this study, I, I just pray, Lord, that every heart, every life would say from deep in their hearts, thank you. What does the Spirit want to say? What does the Spirit want you to understand what does the Spirit want you to experience? This amazing gift of grace. So, Father, thank you for this book. Thank you for these words. And we thank you for the life that you have given us in Christ. It is unmatched, unbelievable, and we're so grateful. And we pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.